Amen. I want you to go with me to Acts chapter number 17. Acts chapter number 17. Yes, sir. Go right ahead. Thank the Lord for that. Some of you may not know, Tom's had two open heart surgeries. And uh, they did a heart cath again this week. And I don't know how many stents, but uh, three stents. But they didn't put any in this week. But I want you to pray for him. And uh, he's more than likely facing a, another heart surgery, put a valve in. And uh, thanking the Lord for his goodness. Yeah. The Lord's been good to all uh, The Lord's been good to all of us. And somebody says sometimes, why does, why does bad things happen to good people? Sometimes you've got a misnomer there. There are no such thing as good people. And the Bible says, well, there's none good, no, not one. And everything short of hell is by the mercy and the grace of Almighty God. And I'm thankful for God's goodness. I'm thankful for his health and his strength. And, you know, my girl's singing. This time of year, I, I came to be your pastor, I think, nine years ago. I think you voted either the first Sunday or the last Sunday of October. I think it's the last Sunday of October. Some of you like, I'd like to change my vote now if I knew then what I know now. But God's been good to us and blessed us in an amazing way. 
Acts chapter number 17. And if you'll stay there with me for just a minute, I got some good news for you. I'm not going to try to preach the whole chapter. <laughs> All God's people said. Amen. There was your chance to say amen in church. But I do want to share a thought with you as we, we continue on through the book of Acts. I, I didn't know we'd be in it this long, and I'm enjoying it, and uh, I'm, I'm having a great time in it. You say, is it relevant? Is it relevant to what's going on in the world today? And I say, oh, it's more relevant today than it's ever been. When you read the Bible and understand the context in the scriptures, it's a living, breathing book. Oh, the story, the backgrounds may change and the historical context may change, but the, the purpose and the structure of it's eternal. If you found your place in Acts chapter number 17, you remember with me last week, I think it was last week, Acts chapter number 16, we had two great stories. One, the story of Lydia and the seller of purple. How many remember that? And she got saved and her whole house got saved. And then last week we looked at the Philippian jailer and we thought about them as stocks and we asked ourselves the question, what are we saying at our midnight hour? Are we praising God and praying? How many remember that? So you end Acts chapter number 16. I'm going somewhere, so stay with me. Acts chapter number 16, you end the story with two households saved, serving God and going on. And we believe out of that became the church at Philippi. Acts chapter number 17 deals with three cities. Now, we're not going to deal with all of them today, but you have the city of Thessalonica, you have the city of Berea, and you have the city of Athens. And so now the attention is turned to a city and a little more of the world and the culture. And it is in that context, if you, if you stay with me, we'll look at Acts chapter number 17 and we'll begin in verse number 6 as a text verse. And the Bible says this, and they, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain, by the way, they were looking for Paul and Silas, the troublemakers, the preachers. They drew Jason and certain brethren under the rulers of the city crying, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I want you to notice that expression. If you don't have it marked in your Bible, mark it. I will preach for a little while on this subject, an upside-down world. Now, sometimes God's enemies say great truths. Sometimes the enemies of God and the enemies of the church, they say something, they don't realize it, but they say something that is a compliment, and they say something that is a blessing, and they say something that is true. You say, what do you mean by that? Oh, Acts chapter number 11, they were first called Christians at Antioch. That wasn't the t title they gave themselves, but after a year of that church and, and after a year of seeing them, uh, they, they called them Christians. They said they are imitators of Christ. They're just like Christ, so we're going to belittle them and call them Christians, and now that's a name that we wear boldly and we will wear proudly. <laughs> Here in Acts chapter number 17, the, the, the opposers of Christ and the opposers of the gospel, they said this, they said, look, they said they turned the world upside down. Now I ask you a question on the onset. Do you have the kind of faith that's turning the world upside down? Now, you think with me. You say, why is that? I've written in my Bible right beside this passage. I heard a preacher make this statement, and I wrote it down. And he says this, the world is upside down. The world is contrary to the way and the work of God. And so here you'll find as we look at this context, we look at it and say, what do you mean about that? 
Oh, we could go through a list of things, abortion on demand. You could look at the crimes of, of drug use, crimes against children and rape and sexual abuse and, and murder and stealing and embezzlement and, and all we could. I, I looked at some crimes and some statistics and it would hurt your mind to think about what people are doing. And, and then, the, then the crazy thing in the world we live is now they call all of it illegal and moral. So you can love what you want to love, do what you want to do to anybody else, and there is no moral fiber anymore. And we say, that's all good. And they say, well, you've got to accept that. And, and what Christians must understand is this concept is the world is the wrong side up. And it's not our job to go along with the world, but it's our job to preach the gospel, watch God change lives, and literally turn the world upside down. I wonder if your faith turns the world upside down. So here they said, here come some troublemakers again. Notice number one with me. Notice the scriptures. Go back to Acts chapter 17 and verse number one. And when they passed through Amphilius and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. I don't know why they didn't stop in those first two cities if they were smaller. We do know that Thessalonica was about 100 miles from Philippi, about a three-day walk. It was a large city. It was the capital of Macedonia. It would have been the center for business and a lot of trade routes come through there. And Paul became accustomed to going to the major city and expecting from the major city that the little towns and villages would be reached. It was what they call a free city. It was He was not dealing with the Roman garrison. So here he comes to Thessalonica. Notice it says at the end of verse number one, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. So notice verse two. It says, and Paul, after his manner was, went in unto them three Sabbath days and reasoned with them out of the scriptures. So here you have him, as he was used to doing, he went to those that came from a Jewish background, went into the synagogue, and he reasoned with them. And he, he conversed with them. And notice this is three Sabbath days. Now, many Bible scholars believe this. After three weeks, they kicked him out. <laughs> I've always read this, that he was only in town for three weeks. But if you study the Bible, two times the church at Philippi sent money to him. And so if that happened in three weeks, it happened pretty quickly. He did tent making there. So if it happened, so we don't know how long he was in the city. But we do know he was only in the synagogue for three weeks. And they said, we don't want any more of it. Now, notice a couple things if you notice in verses 2 and 3. You'll notice his manner. How did Paul deal with them? Notice the first little word, and I've already used it. It said this, that he reasoned with them. And notice he reasoned with them out of the Scripture. Reason means to have dialogue. It means to have an exchange of ideas, and it means to have an answer of questions. But can I notice this? The Bible says this, that he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. You say, what's the significance? We have an upside-down world. They have one way of looking at something, and we have another way of looking at something. And so the world does not need to know what I think. The world does not need to know what I feel. The world does not need to know how I was raised. What the world needs to know is what the Scriptures say. And so they can say whatever they want to say about their life and, and don't do this and don't do that. That's not the question. The question becomes, what does the scripture say and so when you're thinking about reasoning you're thinking about having dialogue and you're thinking about answering questions but notice this Paul answered all of his questions from scripture you say what does an upside down world need they need scriptural answers 
You say, what's the significance of that in the church? I don't know if we'll get there today, but the next city is the church of Berea. We know the church of Berea for one thing. The Bible says this uh, on an, in this chapter, says this, they were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see, show, to see if those things were so. So that the church of Berea was known for one thing, searching the scriptures. And I ask you this question, when your kids have questions and your friends have questions and your relatives have questions and your coworkers have questions, can you give them a Bible answer? You say, well, I think when everybody dies, we're just going to all turn into angels. Well, I think we'll all get there. You know, I mean, you, you know, everybody's trying to do right. Well, I'm just sorry. Do you have a Bible answer for those questions? Somebody says, well, why can't you just, uh, what's wrong with this and what's wrong with that and why do we do what we do? And you, you, the, look, the list can be a mile long, but my question for you is, just like the Apostle Paul, can you have dialogue from Scripture? So now I'm gonna answer, let me say this to you. If you're going to answer questions according to this book, you're going to have to know what's in it. That's going to take a little more than me hollering at you for 30 minutes on Sunday morning. That's going to take you doing some reading and, and studying and, and meditating and listening and, and developing. But notice he reads, and then the Bible says this in verse number three, opening and alleging. The little word opening means he's explaining. So he's using dialogue. He's, he's answering questions. He's exchanging back and forth. And then he says this, he's opening. Notice this, and alleging. <clears throat> The little word alleging means he's giving evidence or, or proving. If we would say in the court of law, we'd say, well, here's people's exhibit A, and, and we would lay it out and say, here's the evidence, and that's what that word means, alleging. But notice what he's alleging about. Don't miss this. He's reasoning, he's opening, and he's alleging, notice this, that Christ needs have suffered. Now back up in just a minute. You say, so he's not just reasoning about custom. He's not reasoning about culture. He's not reasoning about money. He's reasoning with them about why the Lord Jesus Christ must have suffered. Well, the Bible says that he came to become sin for us, he who knew no sin. The Bible says that he came as the Lamb of God. The Bible says that he's the anointed one. He is the uh, appointed one. He's the, the chosen one. He's the Messiah. Oh, the prophet, if you want a description of why he came, read Isaiah, Isaiah 53. And the Bible says that he came as a lamb before shears is dumb, and so he opened not his mouth like a lamb to be slaughtered. You say, why? Because the Bible says in that same passage in Isaiah 53 that the Lord shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. You say, what does that mean? Christ was the only one, look at me, the only one that could satisfy the holy nature of a righteous God. And so he's reasoning with them. Someone said to me, you know, though you witness somebody, you say, are you ready to go? They say, well, I hope so. I want to know. I mean, I'm, so I asked him. He said, well, when you're reasoning with people, look at me, when you're reasoning with people, one thing's always going to come up. It's a little three-letter word we don't like to use. It's the word sin. <laughs> See, he came because of our sin nature. 
He came because Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden. They chose to go their own way. And, and the Bible says in sin did our mother conceive us. And, and then we've chosen our own way. And we're all sinners by nature. We're all sinners by choice. My sin is not worse than your sin. But we're all sinners. And so he's reasoning with them. He said Christ must needs have Suffered. He's explaining why Christ died. I'll be honest with you, one of the expressions that I use often when I'm witnessing people, especially in our culture, especially in our town, everybody's heard the Christmas story. Everybody knows about Bethlehem, and I shouldn't say everybody, most people know about Bethlehem. And sometimes at Easter, they, they know about that, and I use that to my advantage. I say, you know, you many of you probably heard about Bethlehem, and there's no room at the end, and them swaddling clothes, and maybe you've seen them Christmas plays, and now I say, it's a lot of times you go to church on Easter and we celebrate the risen Savior. But can I explain this to you? There was a reason that he came and go through the gospel. Notice this. He says, reasoning, alleging. Notice this, why he came. But then notice this, he must needs have suffered. And notice this, and risen again from the dead. So here's the two hinge points of everything the apostle Paul is explaining. That everybody's a sinner and that Christ died for sin. But he conquered death, hell, and the grave. He, the Bible says this, he's risen from the dead. Now notice that. It's the power of the resurrection. And so without the, the substitutionary death of Christ, we are all hopeless. But listen to me. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. He's the first fruits. That means there's going to be some after him that are risen from the dead. Everything about our faith hinges upon the resurrection. I don't have time then today, but to go read 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, and it says over and over again, it says, if there be no resurrection, then our faith is in vain. Our, our preaching is vain. There's no sense. There's nothing to look forward to. So it comes down to he's reasoning, and the synagogue said, let me explain to you this Christ this Jesus, and again in this verse, this Christ, it is he who was suffered and bled and died for the sins of the world, but he did not stay dead. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And I say to you, what our upside down world needs more than anything else is they need someone that can reason from the scriptures and explain to them that Christ died for them according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And if they put their faith and trust in him, and his finished work on the cross, then they have a hope beyond the grave. The scriptures. Do you know them? You say, well, I don't know them like I ought to know them. Then are you getting to know them? Excuse the expression, but nobody arrived in this thing we call the Christian life. It's a journey. Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian we know anything about in recorded in Scripture, he got down there then and he said, I'm still pressing toward. I just want to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul explained it better than anybody we've ever known under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. He said, I still want to know more about it. I'm still reaching forward. I'm still trying to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended. I'm forgetting what is behind. I press toward the mark. And so my challenge to you this morning, we can complain about the world. We can watch the world shift. We can complain about what's going on. But what we need is someone to boldly reason with people from the Scriptures. Notice the Scriptures. Notice in verse number 3, I go on. It says this, and I've circled the word Christ in my Bible. And then I've circled in the middle of the verse, this Jesus. 
We know that to be his earthly name, Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He's reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, said, you know, everything that the prophets told us about, everything about the anointed one, look, this Jesus, that was him. And he says this, and he circled the little word Christ. And in other words, he says, that's the Christ I'm preaching to you. So he says to them from the scriptures, I can only imagine everything he said from that Old Testament, things we still ain't figured out. He said, everything I'm saying to you, he says, that Jesus that y'all killed, that's him. He's the one. But notice what happens in verse number four. Man, that's good, isn't it? So, man, I like, I like it. And so did they. Some of them believed. You can complain about the world or you can preach the gospel and some will believe. And notice this, and consorted with Paul and Silas and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. And of the chief women, not a few. You say, man, that is wonderful. Aren't you glad? I mean, to see fruit from your labor. Some believed a great multitude of the Greeks and many of the chief women, the Bible says, man, that's wonderful. But notice not only first with me the scriptures, notice the second thing with me, the stirring. I, I tell you, you can read the book of Acts and you can just know it. Anytime you see people saved, their devil's going to stir up trouble. And can I say this to you in a church like this? To the best of my ability, I'm going to faithfully preach that book and I'm going to preach that gospel time and time and time again. And if God does what he has continued to do through the years in churches like this, you will see people saved. We never see as many saved as we'd like to see saved. And every time you see God begin to stir, know this, that Satan will stir. Why do you say that? I say that for two reasons. Number one, don't be surprised. Number two, don't be a tool of Satan. He use you. But don't let him. Notice it says here, the stirring up. In verse number five, notice their, their envy. And this stirring up, notice it says this, and the Jews which believed not. I've underlined that. So here they are, those are unbelieving Jews. And notice the next expression, they moved with envy. They were jealous. Their motivation was simple anger and jealousy. Be careful about your motivation. Be careful about saying, I'm going to get even. That's a farce. You can never get even. The Bible says that we're to provoke one another to good works. The Bible says that we're to consider one another and we're to lay down our life for one another. The Bible doesn't say anything about getting even. And so here you have the concept. They're trying to get even, moved with envy. And then notice how they notice their ploy. He says this, and he says, they took them, this is one of my favorite expressions in Scripture. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. And they gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out unto the people. Now you say, what's wrong? Now look at me. Pay real close attention. They couldn't win from the scriptures. They couldn't win with reason, logic, preaching. They couldn't win with the scriptures. So what they said was, we're going to get us some certain fellows of a baser sort. Simpletons. Don't know what they believe. So they couldn't get Paul and Silas and Jason. And they, so what they did is they incited a riot. 
Now, I told you this book's written a long time ago, but it's pretty modern. How many of you can see a parallel in our world today if a certain group doesn't get what they want? And they can't win like they want with logic and reason and scriptures. They just get a certain group of a baser sort and they set the whole city in uproar. How many of you have ever seen anything like that? Where do you think they got the idea? <laughs> Go all the way back here and you see it. So the whole city's in uproar. So it's got the attention. So the gospel went to the marketplace and the gospel went out into the cities. And now all of a sudden they don't like it. And so now the city is in an uproar. And they, they incited a riot with simple people. The mob is not always right. I'll say that again. The mob is not always right. But notice not only their envy and their ploy, but notice, notice their accusation. Now, this is a staggering statement to me. I, I, I've already shared just the beginnings of it. It says, and they found them not. So they couldn't find Paul and Silas. They got the riot going and the magistrates. and they, they got the ma they, So they got Jason. That was the house they believed that they were staying in. We believe the church of Thessalonica to begin, come out of this uh, from his house. And certain brethren, and so they brought Jason and some others under the rulers of the city. So they said, crying, notice this, these that have turned the world upside down. I've come hither also. You see, what's so significant about that? Please don't miss this. They understood the power of the gospel. They understood that if, if they trusted in Christ the Messiah, the risen one, then they no longer needed the Jewish customs and the Jewish traditions. And so they, they feared for power. They, they recognized the dynamic difference between what they had heard and what they knew in their life, and so they're struggling with it. But don't be surprised that when you think about the teachings of Christ that they're dynamically opposed to what mankind thinks. What did Jesus teach us in his earthly ministry? Oh, he said this. He says, let the greatest of you be servant of all. And he took the towel and he washed one another's feet as an example said, I, I, I'm showing you that you serve one another. He said, don't be like the Romans and, and have a hierarchy and, and you do whatever you need. He said, no, if you're going to be great in the kingdom of God's service. He said, don't, don't think like adults, but he said this, come to me in childlike faith. That's a paradox from everything we understand. Luke chapter number 12, I don't want you to take the time to turn there, but I, I'll remind you, he makes this statement. He says this in Luke 12, 15. He says, a man's life consisted not of the abundance of the things that he possesses. So then he begins to tell a parable of the rich man that brought forth bountiful. And it's going great. And in the parable it said, what are you going to do about your problem of God blessing? He said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down them barns, build bigger barns. And Jesus said, Tonight it's over for you. Then who are these things going to be? See, the, the, the dynamic difference is this. Christ told us not to live for this world. You say, why? Look at, the, look at the next verse, verse number seven. It says, in whom Jason, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar saying that there is another king, one Jesus. Circle that another and underline that. I've circled that little word, one Jesus, and underline that little word, another king. You say, what are they saying? 
He said, they're saying, look, there is one that they're saying is doing contrary to the customs and the decrees of Caesar. And they're saying it's this Jesus, and they're calling him another king. Now, that little word another in the Bible is an interesting word. When we talk about the comforter, it uses the word in John, another, and it's another of the same kind of the same sort. He says, I'm not going to leave you comforter. I'm going to send you another, the third person of the Trinity, another comforter. But when you understand the word here, it's a different word, even though it shows the same way in our Bibles, it's in our English Bibles, it's another. And notice this, it's another of a different kind. <laughs> And can I say this to you? Oh, he's a king of a different order. <laughs> he's not coming to rule and reign on this earth now. He, oh, that day is coming. But he says he's another king. There's another king, and it is the one Jesus. And I've written in my Bible beside of verse number seven, and that is the word King Jesus. Real simple. You want to turn the world upside down? Start listening to King Jesus instead of King Caesar. Start living for that world and not this world. Start giving for that world, not this world. Start serving for that world, not this world. And notice he says this. He says there's one, they're saying there's one of another kind, a different kind. King Jesus, by the way, conquers with a cross, not with an army. This kingdom is not of this world. And notice this, it is based on the power of his resurrection. I ask you a question. When's the last time somebody accused you of turning the world upside down? Well, let me say it this way. When's the last time somebody accused you of being a troublemaker because you wouldn't budge from this book? So you got to decide. The world is upside down. You can float downstream with the world. But then realize that's going to take you places that God never intended you to go. Or you can swim against the current and say, no, 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 look, I'm serving King Jesus. I'm living for the world that is to come, not for the world that is now. Oh, I wish we had time, but you look in verse 8 and 9, they sent him away. They got, they got, they got Jason in jail, and they, wanted, they just want rid of him to trouble, the, trouble them. And then it says, and they let him go in verse number nine. So they escaped by night. And then verse number 10, it says, and they went and, uh, by night to under Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue. So they went the same thing. They went to the next town. So number three, you see the sending away. And number, number four, notice the searching quickly, and I'm done. It says they went to Berea, under the synagogues, and I quoted a moment ago in verse number 11. It says, and they received the word with all readiness of mind. What a testimony. And then they searched the scriptures daily to see what they're saying. So, man, they're open to it. They're reading it. They're understanding it. Amen. And therefore, many of them believed. And also honorable women, which are the Greek, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached unto of Paul and Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea by, by Silas and Timotheus abode there. Notice this very quickly, and I'm done. I give you this application. You reason. Some people are going to believe. And we say, glory to God for those that believe. Some are not going to believe. And those that are not going to believe most of the time 
are going to cause problems. You say, what do you mean by that? The crowd started in our world today said, just leave me alone and let me live my life. But my friends, we've come a long way from that. Now they want me to accept their life and promote their life. And we reason. We reason they don't believe it. We go on to the next town, to the next place, and we reason again, and they kill us. They, look, they still going to chase us and cause us problems. So I'm going to challenge you with two things, and I'm done. Number one. No Bible answers. Know them. The world is more upside down, if we would say it this way, than it's ever been. Oh, it's always been upside down, but it's crazier than it's ever been. How many of you admit it's crazier than it's ever been? At least in America in our lifetime. It's upside down, so you better know Bible answers. And then when they, when they reason, they don't believe, then I'm going to say this to you. Continue in the Scriptures. They went on next town. They continued with that book. You'll find them. We ain't going to get there today, Lord willing. Next week, I'm going to preach on this live, uh, living in Mars Hill. <laughs> oh, we got a world living in Mars Hill. They worshiping something. They just don't know what it is. But you have to decide. Are you going to be people of the book? Are you going to stay with the book? You're going to stay with Christ. You're going to live for the world that is to come. Oh, trouble's going to come. Trouble's going to find you. All you got to do is walk with Jesus, and they'll say, he's upside down. She's backwards. She's li- They'll say this in today's world. They're just so uneducated. They just don't understand. They have not evolved in the socioeconomical socialist thinking to get to where we are. They're just primitive in their thinking. They're primitive. Now, there's a difference between being primitive and being biblical. You have to decide. You're going to know the answers, and then when trouble comes, you're going to stay with the book, or you're going to be swept away with the people. Oh, the world's upside down. It is. It's upside down, and what the world needs is Bible answers. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody in here, I think, would agree with me. The world needs Bible answers. How are they going to get them? Oh, they're welcome to come. They're welcome to listen. They're welcome to watch Facebook. But most of them Bible answers are going to come one-on-one in private conversations with people like you more than they are in mass gatherings listening to somebody like me preach. Are you ready to reason the Scriptures? And are you willing to search them and stay with them? I want you to bow with me in prayer. 